Peter recording. Hazel recording. Andy recording. Keris recording. John hung over recording. Oh no. <laughs> oh, this is going to go so well. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. Welcome to episode 86 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Andy Chandler, Keris Gibson, Peter Johnson, John Harding, and I'm Hazel Burton. On today's show, we have got a brand new set of recommendations. So we're going to be discussing the latest and greatest in entertainment that we've been enjoying recently. We'd love to discuss them with each other and with you as well. And then we have John, who's doing something completely different. So let's get started. Hey, Karis, it's wonderful to have you back. Thank you. It's so lovely to be back and see all your lovely nerd faces. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. Probably. Especially John's <laughs> lovely hungover face. Yes. You're looking a bit sorry for yourself, John. My friend came up from London yesterday and we'd not seen each other for like a year and a half. So a group of us went out. We started at 3pm and we finished at 4am. Oh, God. <laughs> Wowzers. And what sort of state were you in at 4am? I think I was reasonably okay. I think I was having a conversation with a dog and genuinely couldn't understand why she wasn't replying. But other than that, it was, it was all good. <laughs> Are you actually sober yet? Because it's only 10 hours since then. Oh, I don't know. We'll, we will find out during the course of the podcast. Okay. Um, and we don't have Dan with us this week, uh, but we do have a message that Dan has sent. Um, he has said, sorry to not be with you today. Work and life have become very busy for me right now. However, I did get a few hours to relax this morning and we had our first trip back to the cinema. We bought overpriced popcorn and watched the giant monkey and the giant lizard hit each other and it was glorious. Also, there was a trailer for In the Heights and I may have sobbed with joy seeing it on the big screen. Oh. Cinemas are back. The weird thing is he went to see Nomadland, so. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to the cinema this week, haven't you, Hazel? Yes, yes, me and my better half, which is Andy, by the way. <laughs> Just in case of confusion. Is that going in the vows? <laughs> Andy's going, I, I, I haven't been to the cinema this week. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, we went to our local Odeon to go and see Terminator 2. Hmm. That old chestnut. I know the cinema's been shut for a long time, but that's going <laughs> a bit far. <laughs> it was wonderful. We didn't work out how to buy the popcorn because all of it is hidden from display so that you don't breathe on it. So we just kind of shuffled into the simmer and thought, oh, we'll figure it out for next time. But yeah, it, uh, it turns out watching films on a gigantic screen with surround sound is slightly better than your living room TV. Who'd have thought? It's pretty good, isn't it? Who'd have thought? <laughs> Depends how good your living room TV is. And your surround sound. <laughs> when I was little, I used to call the Terminator the turnip maker. And then um, <laughs> my mum would get really frustrated with my dad for letting me watch it because... I was obviously too young to pronounce it. And that should be a guideline. If you can't pronounce the film, you're too young to watch it. Is that how it works? I think yeah. so, yeah. So the two biggest horror aficionados on this podcast are the ones who were obviously subjected to movies they really shouldn't have been watching mm -hmm. from a young age. Mm -hmm. Alien was the first. I think that is a common theme amongst people that like horror movies. We're probably subjected to them in their formative years and are now just horrible, warped people as a result. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I kind of want to see the turnip maker, though. 
<laughs> Hasta la vista, turnip. <laughs> Give me your clothes, your boots and your peeler, I don't know. And your rotavator. <laughs> Give me your clothes, your roots and your motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> come with me if you want some Swede. <laughs> I thought he was Austrian. But, uh, yes. uh, Does the turnip make it have a Swedish accent instead of an Austrian one? Very good. I haven't been to the cinema yet then. Is it unusual or does it just feel like normality? Some are making you wear masks and others aren't, from what I gather. Yeah, so, so we kept our masks on throughout, uh, but we were only ones in the summer who did. Um, the Odeon was a bit unspecific about when you could take them off or not. We just assumed that we couldn't, and to be honest, forgot we were wearing them after the first half an hour. But we were, we were nowhere near anyone else, so it, it felt relatively safe. I am delighted that they're back. Has anyone seen anything interesting this week? We saw a weird and very um, disappointing trailer for the American remake of Ghosts, <sighs> which I think broke Dan's heart. <laughs> if uh, you ever want to torture me into giving up the nuclear codes, then just force me to watch an American remake of a British sitcom and I'll roll over right away. Wait, <laughs> you have nuclear codes? <laughs> oh, of course. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> I needed a project during lockdown, so I became a nuclear power. Okay. Actually, you do, you, do, you do have a world map behind you on the screen, so is this your global domination plan? Global destruction, more like that, that's easier. See, I thought the arrows in the countries were destinations that we wanted to go to after lockdown was over, but it turns out you just want to destroy those countries. Mm. What were we talking about? <laughs> American ghosts. ghosts. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I see, I, I, my brain protected me. <laughs> I forgot, <laughs> forgot the topic of conversation so soon. They did, um, they, they've done American remakes of the IT crowd and of Red Dwarf. And uh, the style of humor just doesn't work. Um, I do not understand why they don't just stick to uh, their own things. They can do some good comedies, the Americans. Don't, don't try to understand what makes us laugh here. The Office was a good American comedy. Someone disagrees? I love The British Office. It was the first DVD I ever bought. But the, the American one is, it is also very good and they do do it differently. They do it in their own way. Mm -hmm. I love both of them. I quite enjoyed Being Human, which isn't exactly a comedy. It was more comedy drama yeah. uh, about werewolves and stuff. I love that. And the American remake of that actually gets quite good once you get past the first season, where it just mm -hmm. tries to copy the English one. Maybe I've been too hasty. So, Keris, are you um, the one and only defender of Ricky Gervais on this podcast? I love Ricky Gervais. I'm a huge <gasps> fan of everything he's done. I met him once, actually, in a tea room. He was delightful, and it was right after one of the many Golden Globes incidences. <laughs> Where he's just roasted the entire crowd. Oh, Keris, you're the anti-Dan. <laughs> Why was he in a tea room? Uh, he was there with his partner, sitting in the window, actually, and I was talking about him with my brother as we walked past that window and my brother went, that's Ricky Gervais. And I said, no, it can't be. And it was. So when we went in. Perhaps you summoned him. Maybe. If you say his name three times in a movie, he, he kind of appears and does some shit comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I spoke to him when um, he walked past our table and I said, oh, hi, um, I just want to say I'm a huge fan. And he was so charming and lovely. Honestly, he was a delight. I've met a few celebrities, actually. I've bumped into quite a few celebrities. Well, it's interesting to hear that Ricky Gervais is charming and lovely, but why can't he bring that to the screen? <laughs> <laughs> so who else have you met, Keris? Dustin Hoffman, Michael Ball. Okay. <laughs> Slight difference in degree there. <laughs> yeah. Gareth Gates. Oh, Dean Bowers. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he was on another level. <laughs> 
it's from the sublime to the ridiculous here. <laughs> yeah. What was Dustin Hoffman like? I kind of froze. Um, it was when I was working in a museum in London and he just kind of came up to me with his ticket and I, I turned into a person who'd forgotten how to talk and he was just so lovely and cool and I didn't technically have a conversation with him because I just started blithering on. But a lovely man. I think that's when he was filming. He was filming something in London. What could it be? <laughs> did he have Tom Cruise with him? No. So it wasn't Rain Man? No, he did not. Okay, let's narrow this down. That's not. This could take a while. <laughs> this, this may take a while. <laughs> was he making Mr. Magoo's Wonder Emporium? Mm. Is that a thing? I believe, no, not Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo was the blind guy, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium, a magical toy shop run by 243-year-old Mr. Edward Magorium, played by Dustin Hoffman. Okay. <laughs> and what is Mr. Magoo's magical emporium? Um, He couldn't see it. He just kept walking into things, so they had to close it. <laughs> they made a Mr. Magoo film like 20 years after it was politically incorrect to do so, didn't they? I think Leslie Nielsen played Mr. Magoo literally wandering around with a cane, because being blind is funny, apparently. Superman 3 taught us that. Yeah. <laughs> it taught us everything. <laughs> it taught me how to... How to hate. <laughs> it taught me how to commit bank fraud on a massive scale. Yes. Bit yeah. by bit. It taught me how to control the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It taught me how to um, hack into things by typing in override all security. Yes. That works. <laughs> <laughs> it taught me how to ski on a rooftop. Oh yeah. <laughs> Perfectly safe endeavor. Yeah. Do you like in your cybersecurity job Hazel, do you terrify people into not hacking things by saying there's a chance the computer might come to life, attack you and turn you into a weird hybrid robot woman and then Richard Pryor has to kill you? Yes, a Google Images from that film is by far my most uh, visited <laughs> website. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> that terrified me when I was little. Mm. Me too. It's basically the same plot point as Tetsuo the Iron Man, an uh, absolutely terrifying Japanese punk horror movie, to the extent that you could perhaps mess with people by slicing from one film to another. What? So you could get to that bit of Superman 3 and then just change the DVD when nobody's looking like I do with Louise. Because Louise often thinks she's watching a film and then she falls <laughs> asleep and on. she wakes up and it's Mandy, yeah. <laughs> I tried to watch Rawhead Rex last week, the early 80s Clive Barker film. But sort of, I think even pre-Hellraiser, about a group of Irish priests on an island. It's not Father Ted. Um, <laughs> the acting was Father Ted quality. And they knock over like a big Celtic gravestone and a massive monster with loads of teeth comes out and starts biting people's heads off. Mm-hmm. And I watched five minutes of this and Louise said... Please, God, I don't want to watch this anymore. Can we just put anything else on, anything else at all? So we, we watched Mandy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's fair game. She regretted her decision. Is Louise's opinion of Mandy changing at all with uh, repeat exposure? Like, by process of erosion. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. I am. Uh, she did get me this lovely T-shirt. Oh, John is stripping. Willie's Wonderland. Ah. Ooh. A different Nick Cage movie. In which he doesn't say a word throughout the entire film, but does beat an animatronic ostrich to death. That's how I like my Nicolas Cage films. Yep. When he remains silent.
Okay, let's do some recommendations. So this is stuff that we've been enjoying recently and would like to talk about them and hopefully you can enjoy them too. Who would like to go first? Oh, I'll go first. Uh, I'd like to get everyone off on the right foot uh, by talking about a grim, depressing film. Okay? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Lovely. So my recommendation is a Colombian film called Valley of Souls. It's a drama set in 2002, right in the middle of a bloody conflict between Colombian armed forces and paramilitary groups. It follows Jose, a fisherman who returns home one morning to find that his two sons have been murdered by paramilitary forces and their bodies thrown into the river, and he sets out to find his boys and give them a proper burial. They're not a barrel of laughs. How do you find these films? <laughs> like, you, know, you know that list of Netflix codes, all different genres? Have you found the horrible, harrowing, foreign <laughs> war movie code? You know how Netflix recommends, oh, you watch this, we think you might yeah. like. There's actually also a feature you can switch on where it says, you hated this. Well, here's the exact opposite of it. I just, what's the opposite of a Zack Snyder film? And here we go. Valley of Souls, it's a very slow, understated film. Uh, nonetheless, it packs a devastating emotional punch. Jose is a man searching for closure in a hostile environment where danger lies around every bend, but he remains undeterred and displays a remarkable, quiet strength to go alongside his grief. The film uses a personal human story to explore the horrors of the conflict, but it avoids leaning too heavily on sentiment, preferring to allow Jose some space and dignity in his lowest moments. And it often achieves this by capturing them in wide shots and long takes, kind of standing back and relying mostly on the actor's body language to convey the emotion of the scene. Interestingly, it's presented in a fairly extreme aspect ratio. It's incredibly wide. Much of the story takes place in um, Jose's canoe on the river, and horizontal motion is very important, and the shape of the frame really emphasises the scale of the task ahead. The river seems endless, and it seems very, very daunting and um, almost a, a hopeless endeavour. The film has either no or very little music added, so we're floating along with Jose, hearing what he hears, which is a constant home of insects, birds, and flowing water. It adds a strong sense of realism and helps the viewer identify with Jose. There's plenty of picturesque scenery, but overall, Valley of Souls is a fairly grim, sad film. Um, I found the ending especially heartbreaking, but it's engaging and interesting and is a beautiful piece of cinema. Unsurprisingly, this is on Mubi. You can check it out by signing up for a 30-day free trial period, and if you're in the mood for something quiet, thoughtful and emotional, then this will satisfy you. Can I give you my Mubi tip that if you cancel Mubi... They then immediately offer it to you at a ridiculously cheap price to keep you for another three or six months. So I'm currently paying a pound for three months of movie. Ooh, that's not bad. It also works with Now TV. They give you it at half price. Hmm. Sometimes. This can backfire occasionally and you can mm -hmm. find out you just quit it without intending to. <laughs> <laughs> so when you've had a hard day at work, Hazel, mm. and you, know, you want a bit of jollity in your life and you come down and Andy's found another... Halloween <laughs> movie for you to watch at the end of your long day at work. How does that feel? I go back up the stairs to do more work. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, safe to say I haven't watched a single film on movie. I just let Andy do whatever makes him happy. <laughs> oh, are they all depressing films on movie? No. Possibly. They're just the ones you pick. <laughs> no, um, my favourite film of 2020 is on there, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think that is absolutely exceptional and everyone should see it and that's um it's not not entirely depressing that's a beautiful film it's not a depressing film at all it's incredibly beautiful yeah yeah so that's one i've been meaning to watch that for months me too louise has watched it and really enjoyed it yeah it's really good i need to watch it again 
Lesbians, John. Lesbians. French lesbians. Lesbianing. Ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> Not to undermine it or anything. <laughs> <laughs> How many widescreen shots of a man paddling a canoe out of ten would you give the film? I would give it eight of what you said out of ten. And I'll take the... Uh, the lack of questions about the film um, to be that you've all been completely convinced and don't need to know anymore. <laughs> um, has it? No, I can't pretend. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and now for something completely different. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who wants to go next? I'll go next with my please God don't watch this terrible, terrible TV show recommendation. Um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this week I have been watching Jupiter's Legacy, the new TV series, based on a comic series by Mark Miller. And basically what happened is I think Netflix bought Mark Miller's comic book production company for $27 million. And this is the first program, I think, to come out of that deal. I'm not quite sure if they realised things like Kingsman and Carson Wanted didn't come with it because they were all already optioned to Vital Studios. So... This is probably one of the, the, the few things that they did get the rights to. Stephen DeKnight, who produced the Daredevil TV series, which I think a lot of us were big fans of, was on board at the beginning, but he left partway through the season. And it sounds like it's been quite a lot of difficulties behind the scenes. And the story is basically told in two timelines. So we've got the present day where we have a group of superheroes who are perhaps to some extent struggling with the role of a traditional superhero in a more complex society, particularly like the old Batman, we shall not kill rule, mm. comes under some pressure. Which and kind of is more of a guideline than a rule, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> if, Thou shalt not kill unless Zack Snyder says it's okay to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they'll battle a supervillain, but why do they not stop famine in a different country? Should they get involved in wars and things like that? Mm. So some interesting stuff there, and um, they also have two teenage children who have superpowers of their own and are kind of grappling with what it means to grow up being a superhero and carrying on a legacy. Basically, your dad is Superman. That's kind of a very heavy burden to have on your shoulders. We also cut back in time between the present day and the 1920s, where there's the Wall Street crash and the same characters, much younger have to deal with the collapse of their father's company simultaneously going on an adventure where they get their superpowers for the first time. Sounds quite interesting, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, sounds great. Thanks, John. Who's next? Unfortunately. It's bloody awful. <laughs> Honestly, I, like, it, was, it, it looks really, really cheap. Yeah. The most ridiculous thing is you, you just can't get into the present day because we've got the same actors playing the characters young and old and it's got some of the most ridiculous pound shop stick-on moustaches and <laughs> wigs. and It is completely terrible. There's one guy who literally just appears to have a bit of talcum powder in his hair to make him look older than the young version. Um, the actors playing the teenage kids are the most whiny emo actors with no <laughs> subtlety uh, I'm, I'm being a little bit unfair the, the, the daughter becomes more interesting as the series comes on is quite quite a conflicted character but the son is like worst teen movie soapy excess the 1920s stuff is more interesting but then kind of falls apart as it goes on the worst thing about it is it's got no sense of humour whatsoever. It's so obsessed with its potentiousness and having to say something about what superheroes are that it forgets to actually have any fun or joy whatsoever. 
just entirely po-faced in a, in a kind of a Zack Snyder way. <laughs> I, I think it's suffered mainly because uh, Invincible, which you mm. covered on a previous podcast, covers a lot the same themes in so much a better, admittedly more gory way. Yeah. But even though that was animated, it seemed to deal with it in a more adult manner than this did. Mm. This just felt amateurishly put together. It had a fight scene where a whole bunch of people were on a hilltop because obviously they're on green screen and they didn't want to interact with the environment in any meaningful way. So instead, they just <laughs> had them on a sort of round hilltop in the first episode. I watched the first episode, tried to watch five minutes of the second episode and thought, uh, no, <laughs> life's too short. I'm not watching <laughs> this. Oh, wow. So, Andy, should I have stayed watching longer? Uh, well, I mean, if you didn't like the first episode, then uh, it, it carries on along the same course. So uh, it's probably not for you. But I really, really enjoyed it. I watched the whole first season and uh, I think it's great. What you said about um, Invincible um, being a bit more grown up about it, I feel exactly the opposite. I've watched a couple of episodes of Invincible and I found that for the most part, a little bit flat and really conventional. And then it's also got a bit of swearing in and a lot of gore, which seems a bit incongruous to me. And the overall effect is I find Invincible to be a bit adolescent, whereas um, Jupiter's Legacy works for me. Mm. Mostly because it, it focuses very, very deeply on um, the themes far more than the stuff you think of when you think of superheroes, the smashing and, and the fights and so on. And the whole heart of it is, is around that question of the superhero's code. The, we don't interfere in politics and specifically we don't kill. And it analyzes that from lots of different angles. Lots of different characters have different takes on it. And there's more going on as well. Legacy is, is key. It's in the title. It's really at a stage where the old superheroes are um, effectively handing over to the younger generation. Um, then you get conflicts of idealism versus practicality, uh, things about responsibility and accountability. And the point of it is to explore these ideas rather than to show people flying around and smashing things, which is, is to, to my eyes, is um, fairly unique in the superhero landscape. So um, it's something that really works for me. I, I haven't had a problem with the acting um, or the, uh, uh, the, the stick on beards. It's, it's been fine for me. But if you didn't like the first episode, then mm. probably not for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked the ideas. I just thought the ex execution was really off for me. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, we've both watched the same thing and we kind of, I think, have similar interests in films and stuff like that and TV series, but yet we both have a completely different reaction to it. Mm. I have a theory. It depends on what other things you've watched in similar veins as to whether you think it's got something new to say. It's kind of come out at the same time as a few of the serious superhero films and TV series. Like The Boys, for instance. Yeah. I don't think it compares very well to The Boys either. But Watchmen series. Which is the pinnacle of that kind of thing. And even things like, I guess, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, at some points during its four hours, grapples with that a little bit. I think it deals with everything in that four hours, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> so probably two different scores, because I would give it two stick-on beards out of ten. How many stick-on beards would you give it, Andy? <laughs> um, I'd give it eight out of ten, I think. Mm. I'm uh, excited to see more. So that's an average of six? Is that right? Five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Okay, uh, shall I go next? Yes, please. Sure. Let the women go last. Whatever. Saving the best to last. We can, we can swap brand if you want. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a patriarchal society after all. Okay. <laughs> go on, Peter. <laughs> if you want to go before me, that is fine. I shall be a gentleman. But even that's wrong nowadays. <laughs> Just winding you up. 
<laughs> Women coming last, if at all, is the story of my life. <laughs> they were my sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'd like to recommend The Nevers, which is the latest and long-awaited series from Joss Whedon, who, if Ooh. you didn't know, is the creator of TV shows Buffy, Angel and Firefly, co-writer of Toy Story, Speed and Cabin in the Woods, and writer and director of The Avengers and Age of Ultron movies. And, and he's, he's back a massive douchebag. <laughs> and he's back working here with Jane Espenson <laughs> and Doug Petrie from the Buffyverse. Sadly, it arrives as Wedden is mired in various allegations about on-set bullying over the years, to the extent this show has not been able to market itself at all with that link, despite his credits being all over the first few shows. And I'm sure we'll return to discuss that, Hazel. <laughs> but first, let's start with the show itself. Yeah, I thought it was highly appropriate how you told me to shush, given, given <laughs> that's why Joss Whedon is... I was aware of the irony. Anyway. <laughs> um, it's set in a glamorous, steampunky version of Victorian London, where a number of women called the Touched find themselves blessed or cursed with various unusual powers. These might be an ability to make people tell the truth, shatter everything you touch, create balls of flame, or in one case, simply being very, very big. One girl's at least double the size of everyone else and squeezes herself into the frame of each scene she appears in, like Alice through the looking glass, after a load of dodgy cupcakes. There are a ridiculous number of characters milling about in the first episode, which makes the series a little difficult to get a handle on at first. The two leads are both really good. Laura Donnelly as Amalia True, who has the ability to see flashes of the future, and Anne Skelly as Penance Adair, an adorable Irish girl who can see electricity and has a flair for inventing. Other characters include a pansexual aristocrat who runs a private club with a sideline in extortion, a mentally unstable woman who runs an underground gang and is scheduled to hang, various government types who are up to no good, and more familiar faces like Nick Frost playing the Beggar King, who runs London's low-level criminals, and Ben Chaplin, who hands it up gloriously as Inspector Frank Mundy, a very gruff policeman who likes to drink and isn't averse to violence when the occasion demands. <laughs> what the hell was that? He speaks like that throughout the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd like that. I liked it. <laughs> it takes its time to get going in that first episode, but the likability of the leads means he's soon drawn in and start to enjoy it. It then just gets completely nuts in episode six, with some fairly head-spinning reveals that cause you to reinterpret everything that's going on through that early part of the season. It was forced to take a break after that due to the pandemic, but it's coming back for the last six episodes under a new showrunner, British screenwriter Philippa Goslett. It's just starting over here on Sky Atlantic. I really enjoyed the first six episodes, and I hope we don't have to wait too long for the rest of the series. Has anyone else seen it? I haven't. The, the description sounds a little bit like Sucker Punch, the kind of forgotten Zack Snyder film. It's more like an, a Victorian X-Men, I, I mm. think. Oh, it's definitely that. Or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, in a way, but better. Oh, yeah. But better. <laughs> I watched the first episode, and I thought it was okay. Oddly enough, it didn't actually seem very Joss whedon to me. For all, we're very unimpressed with him as a human being at the moment. I, I like his stuff. I like his work. And he's all over this, but is, you, you didn't really see his fingerprints. There was the odd line that sounded like one of his, but generally it was a little bit, a little bit flat, I thought. Some of the actors were really good. Um, Pip Torrens, as uh, I think he's, I'm not sure what his role is. He's a lord or something. He's probably going to be the main bad guy. And then Laura Donnelly, I thought, was excellent. Uh, but it was okay. It didn't really suck me in. There was There's probably too many story threads crammed into that first episode, and it felt yep. a little unfocused. It does sort itself out fairly rapidly over the couple of episodes. 
despite that confusion, I think there's enough to keep you interested. And there was an enjoyable experience watching it. Are, are you going to watch more? I don't know. I mean, I've got other stuff I'm watching at the moment. What, more miserable movies? Um, such as The Excellent Jupiter's Legacy. Mm. It's not bad. It, I, it could be enjoyable, but I just I don't feel good about watching a Joss Whedon thing right now. Mm. I think I'll probably leave it. I love that John criticised Peter's accent because this is a man who I once saw do a Yorkshire Kim Kardashian on stage. <laughs> <laughs> How does that go again, John? Hey, up, can you? <laughs> it's like she was in the room. Yeah. Hi, Kim. <laughs> you want to see my sex tape? No, thank you. <laughs> every week, every week, you offer to show me that sex tape, John. It's, 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 a, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> it would be Oscar nominated if they had a category for best sex tape. I gather volume five is surprisingly good. <laughs> <laughs> there was one thing about the Nevers. One of the characters, uh, her, her thing is that uh, energy speaks to her and this makes her a, an inventor. And she's already demonstrated um, a, a magical horseless motorized carriage. It, it's, it's quite steampunky in a way that feels tired mm-hmm. and um, out of date. Feels that kind of aesthetic has been done a lot. And eh, I don't know, that, that maybe put me off a little. Um, but does that character develop more or does that steampunkiness um, of the show, does, does that become a, a real source of fun, do you think? I think so. There's more focus on the powers than there is on the steampunky invention bits. It's weird because it just didn't appeal to me at all from looking at the trailers and stuff on it, which is unusual because there's kind of things in there that I would be interested in, but it just looked a bit of a... A mishmash of various better things. Again, you know, having not seen it, I don't want to criticise it based on a trailer, but I think it would take a lot. It doesn't normally stop you, (laughs) (laughs) John. It would probably take quite a lot for me to get dragged into watching it, I think, mainly because of Josh Whedon. It does colour your perception of it, I would say. Uh, I mean, Hazel and I both listened to the pilot podcast talking about it, and you could get the sense that that coloured how some of them were reacting to it. They described it as excessively booby for instance. Mm. And I watched the first episode again, and it's one pair of breasts in the entire Just thing. enough boobs. I didn't watch you. it just for the boobs. <laughs> yeah. you, know what I, you know what I said? I, I wasn't really that interested in watching it. <laughs> I can separate the art and the artist, so I can watch perhaps a Polanski film and enjoy it as a film. But the fact that Joss Whedon's speciality is kind of this pro-feminist, strong woman, there's too much similarity between the theme and what you know about the creator. It will, it will yeah. feel false because of that. And yet he's providing an opportunity for loads of female actors and uh, quite often the scripts are written by women as well. How good was their experience on set? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's providing mm. an opportunity for loads of female actors to be belittled and shouted. I was halfway through that <laughs> sentence and I start thinking, oh dear, how am I going to yeah. get out of this alive? <laughs> it's true. Um, I rewatched an episode of The West Wing recently. You'll be surprised to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, what? It's, Never. <laughs> uh, it's in season three um, and it's an episode where Sam and Ainsley are having a, an exchange and Ainsley's kind of all dressed up but has to come into the office for some reason. And um, Sam says something along the lines of, Ainsley, you'll make a good dog break his leash. And another woman in the office overhears this um, and comes up to Sam afterwards and say, hey, I think that was just incredibly inappropriate. And the way that Aaron Sorkin has positioned this is to say that the woman who's making the complaint was acting irrationally. And uh, Mm -hmm. Sam was kind of, it's all a bit of banter. It's all a bit of fun. Yeah. And then Ainsley Harriet pops up and says, oh, I actually quite like people saying that to me and then it's all okay. I think she said something along the lines of, if I was offended, I would be among the very first people to know it. 
which is quite funny. And her wider point was that she likes the banter. It makes her feel like one of the guys. It makes her feel part of it. And conversations like that took um, things away from like the real work that they're working on. And you can just feel Aaron Sorkin's voice trying to make a point that I'm not sure if he would make now, Mm -hmm. um, but it really, really colours it. All the criticisms about Aaron Sorkin and the way that he treats women, I think are perfectly valid. Just to clarify, you mean treating women as characters? Sorry, yes, in the way that he writes them. Mm -hmm. And he's got CJ as this kind of like, hey, I wrote CJ, so I must be very enlightened, which I think is more to do with Alison Janney than anything else. He's kind of got this excuse and he uses storylines like that to push his real kind of thoughts through, uh, which is what was a bit hard to swallow. Mm. I would also like to just go back to uh, mention that John spoke of Ainsley Harriet there rather than Ainsley Hayes. I was waiting to see if anyone picked up on that. I, it was a mistake, but I thought <laughs> I might get away with it. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't they cast an English TV chef as the, the sexy Republican lawyer in the West Wing? <laughs> and like Sam and Josh both had to be in a bag of random ingredients and cook a policy up in 15 minutes. I do hope you're not talking about our cats. <laughs> <laughs> so how many problematic writer directors out of 10? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it eight and a half. Eight and a half. Based on what I've seen mm. so far. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I've seen all six. I thought it was fun. It's worth watching. Mm. Hazel, what have you got for us? I'd like to recommend a limited episode TV series, and it's called Mayor of Easttown. It's currently airing on Sky, and you can watch it on Now TV as well. Uh, it stars Kate Winslet as Mayor Sheehan. So the mayor in Mayor of Easttown is her character. So like she's not the mayor; she's just she's called Mayor. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Short for Marianne, I think. Yes. So Easttown is a small town in Pennsylvania and Mare is a detective sergeant and her family life is a bit of a struggle, to put it mildly. Uh, And the series focuses on this, her family life, whilst also centering on a plot around a murdered teenage girl. So it's one of those where everyone in the town is a suspect and everyone possibly has motives or at the very least has some very dark secrets that they don't want anyone to know. And it's Mare's task to lead this investigation whilst also grappling with what's going on in her home life as well. It's Kate Winslet, as I've, I don't think I've ever seen her like this before. Mare is the definition of unglamorous. Basically, her detective uniform is baggy jeans, several flannel shirts and very dark roots for her blonde hair. She's trying to balance a million things. She's trying to balance being a good mother, a good grandmother, a good friend and being a good detective at the same time. She's fierce, she's brusque, she's also she's very, very strongly led by her morals. And as the series moves on, you can tell that she has a lot of empathy and a, a lot of care and is trying to do the right thing in despite of everything that's going on. But one of her coping mechanisms is to bury her own feelings very deep uh, and sort of not deal with how the crisis is affecting her, which is quite interesting to watch. The supporting cast are great too. Uh, Jean Smart plays Mare's mother. And even though it's a, it's a drama, uh, the comedy moments mainly come from her. Uh, it's all about her no-nonsense approach to life and her lack of filter, which can be quite funny. Uh, Evan Peters, who we last saw in WandaVision, mm-hmm. uh, he plays a fellow detective who's brought in to try and help Mare try and solve the murder case because of some supposed heroic act that he did in another town to solve a missing girl's case. Is it true that in episode five, 
is recast and is played by Aaron Taylor-Johnson just to get Ian Mayer really, really excited. That's completely true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's also uh, Guy Pearce. Um, I guess he plays her love interest, if you can call it that. But apparently because of COVID, um, several of the cast had to live together, including Kate Winslet and Guy Pearce. And I think this kind of really adds to their familiarity on screen and sort of naturalness of their performances. I think it's a brilliant, truthful portrayal of a woman who's trying her best, even though she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders. She doesn't always get things right. Sometimes she acts before she thinks, but I think that's what makes her a very relatable hero. I think it's a cracking series. Mm. I don't think there are any weak episodes so far. The mystery just builds and builds and builds and gets more intriguing. So yeah, really highly recommend it. I really, really enjoyed it so far. I've only seen the first two episodes and something happens at the end of the second episode. Yeah. That looks like it's going to make it a lot more interesting. Not that it wasn't interesting already. But you can see mm-hmm. how her personal life and work life are going to become very intertwined. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what makes it probably a little bit different because you focus on these characters and you focus on her, her home life and her family life and things just keep happening, <laughs> which makes her job and life a lot more difficult. I haven't seen it myself, but a lot of people say there's similarities to Broadchurch. I love Broadchurch. But that's a kind of a, a, a similar concept of a small town with a murder and the policewoman investigating it is more involved than mm-hmm. you would initially yeah. think. I'd maybe make a comparison to Fargo as well. Mm-hmm. There's something similar to Frances McNorman's character with her. Yeah, she's great. In what I've seen it so far, she's amazing in it. Absolutely amazing. Completely unrecognisable from sort of the glamorous roles that perhaps she's more known for. Yeah, there's not a coarser insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as a baggy, uh, baggy trousers, really, really dark roots. Maybe she's um, got corset on under the baggy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Not that she looks bad or anything. Um, it's it's all about the work. It's all about doing everything for her family before she takes care of herself. I think I read recently that Kate Winslet had a messy hair rule on set. Was that true? Do you know? <laughs> I don't know if it was a rule. <laughs> um, I, I don't think combs were very common on that set. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason for it. You'll learn in a flashback why she has that hair. You, you sometimes get when you get performers, is it uglying up a word not, or not ugly, or um, dowdying up? I'm not quite sure what the term is. Ugly, ugly face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you, do you know what I mean? It can sometimes be almost a bit like, sure, look, I'm prepared to be unattractive and dowdy for this role. It can come across a bit showy sometimes, but there's not a hint of that mm. in this. It, she's just completely convincing as this, yeah. as this character. Well, Kate Winslet has kind of said, like, that's how she looks day to day when mm-hmm. she's doing the school run and, and things like that. Like, no makeup, just really comfy, casual clothes. Uh, and she feels a very strong affinity with Mare uh, in, mm. in how she lives her life. It's really, really a natural performance. Tonally, it's it's very dark, quite grim. It's being released one episode a week, and uh, that works very well for me because I think binge-watching it would mm-hmm. be too heavy. Mm. Although, I'd say the first episode I found to be really, really heavy, really dark, and then you do get a little bit more levity uh, from the second episode yeah. onwards. Um, Evan Peters' character delivers some of that. Some of the relationship uh, between Mare and her mother gives yeah. a, a few laughs. So if, if you watch the first episode and think, oh, this might not be for me, it does lighten up a little. But overall, it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty dark drama and it's, it's great. Yeah. I only actually watched it because Hazel was raving about it. So thank you, Hazel. <laughs> I really, really loved it so, so far. And when the aliens appear in the last episode, let's revisit our expectations. <laughs> 
paint me like one of your dowdy middle-aged grandmothers. <laughs> <laughs> so how many dowdy middle-aged grandmothers are in Gosh. <laughs> um... So I'm on episode five out of seven, so I'm nearly there. Um, and from everything that I have seen so far, I'm going to give it nine. Ooh. What have you said? <laughs> Grandmother's out of ten. All right, Keris, bring us home. So this is a movie that is very close to my heart. A talented young woman is trying to make it as an actress and her boyfriend proposes to her, but she's betrayed by his lack of loyalty and is forced to take action. She tries to get back at him, but it all goes horribly wrong for her. This is a Japanese love story. I saw it at the Tyneside Cinema on Valentine's Day. I think John's seen it before. Will this be audition? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've traumatised Andy again. Are you okay, Andy? I was genuinely upset when you said you didn't finish it. It's, it's such a lovely film. L- lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Love, lovely? <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, I saw Disney films as a child rather than um, the the turn it maker. So we have different perspectives on this kind of thing. Fair enough. I'll go with my real recommendations now. Sorry. Okay. First of all, I want to talk about Superstore. There's five series on Netflix and the last one is on ITV. This is such a great show to watch if you've ever worked in customer service. When you're watching it, you feel like you're at work with them and the characters are really interesting and they unfold at a nice pace. My favourite character is a woman called Dina. She is the best and it's just good to see a woman on screen who's confident and funny but not mean or insecure. I just want to be her best friend. (laughs) Is this a British comedy or American? It's American. It's set in St. Louis. Louis. Do they pronounce it in America? It's set in St. Louis. Not St. Louis. And (laughs) (laughs) it's set in St. Louis. Who else has seen the show? Haven't, but it sounds great. It is. I I thought it's really good. It's quite a traditional sitcom in some ways, even though it's shot on film. It looks like they've got like a real superstore and shot it all in there. And um, the characters are are good fun. Uh, Karis occasionally... The ones that she wants to make her friends or mother in some way are ones I would run screaming from in some cases. But <laughs> okay. but there you go. Uh, they're not strong, confident women are uh, your nemesis, aren't they, Peter? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't know how to cope. I met your wife, Peter, and you cope very well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, they're also not all portrayed with a necessarily with a nice brush. They're given a bit more downside as well as upside to each of their characters i've watched about two seasons um keris i think you've lapped yourself now have you not i have yeah i beg your pardon (laughs) (laughs) no my sex tip (laughs) i finished series five and then i pressed play and watched it from the beginning all over again if i could lap myself i'd never leave the house Take a page out of uh, Marilyn Manson's book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a Prince story originally. The story was that Prince had had two ribs surgically removed so he could pleasure himself. I mean, he would, but... <laughs> uh, it's a completely unbelievable story for anybody apart from Prince, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But he's Prince. I mean, why would he ever need to pleasure himself? There would be legions of people around, wouldn't there? 
Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Superstore then. We were talking about <laughs> lapping ourselves. <laughs> no. Something that I really liked in the way that you've just described Superstore there was uh, you kept on talking about the characters. And I love a show that has kind of character consistency, strong characters and comedy that doesn't work by subverting characters and so on. So it sounds like my kind of thing. Um, I will be giving that a try. I think you'd enjoy it. You might check it out, yes. So Superstore's actually finished now in America, is that right? Yes, that's right. So there are five seasons on Netflix and the final one, I think, has just come out on ITV. See, And I see the star is um, Ugly Betty, American Forever. Yes. Who I think is the character you're supposed to identify with, Keris. <laughs> I know. I think I'm supposed to identify with her, but I want to be with Gina and her birds and fight customers. <laughs> so how many rewatches would you give it out of 10? I would give it eight rewatches out of 10. Very good. It's a nice, easy watch. So after you've watched Valley of Souls and you mm-hmm. need a bit of a palate cleanser. For sure. And what else have you got for us? My second recommendation is an animated show called Mr. Pickles. This is incredibly intense and trippy. It's about a young boy called Tommy and his adventures with his loyal dog, Mr. Pickles. The dog is very sweet and protective around Tommy, but away from him, he's a demonic dog who kills anyone he doesn't like. This is 12 minutes of fast-paced sarcasm, gore, and mild bestiality. (laughs) (laughs) Mild bestiality. As long as it's only mild. (laughs) It's either you do or you don't. Yeah. Okay, maybe it's not that mild. So tone-wise, is it South Park kind of tone or Rick and Morty? Yeah, yeah. So it's with Adult Swim. So I'd say that it's Rick and Morty had a baby with South Park. <laughs> Actually, I wrote here, I'd say that Superstore is like weed and Mr. Pickles is like acid. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. For those of us who don't do drugs, <laughs> can you describe what you mean by that? <laughs> so Superstore is a chamomile tea. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Pickles is a mug full of gravy. Or Red Bull, possibly. Red Bull and gravy. (laughs) That's my tipple of choice. Okay, I think I'm on your level now. Okay. For those of us who bloody love drugs. (laughs) Can you give me an analogy in chocolate bar form? Superstore is... Dairy milk, plain. Lovely. And Reliable. <laughs> Mr. Pickles is a packet full of revels that you've left in your back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go for those sort of dark chocolates with little bits of like crunchy orangey flavour stuff, little spiky bits inside. Or oh, popping candy. Nibs. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> I, was, I, I was lured in by the brand of like Wonka's chocolate, thinking, oh my God, I'm actually going to taste Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. And then like stuff exploded in my mouth, but not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Louise genuinely spent half a day writing the songs for a porn version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> okay, continue. How's yep. it go? <laughs> I never dreamed that I could jizz <laughs> over your tits in ecstasy, but doubling down between your thighs is where I'm about to be. <laughs> <laughs> you and Louise came up with Yes. This. Was this more you or more Louise? I would say more than, more than me. <laughs> Come in me and you'll see an unwanted pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs>
Umpa lumpa doopity doo. I've got some orange pleasure for you. <laughs> it writes itself. It sounds like it did. Starts off with like a four-person grandparent orgy because they all share their bed, don't they? Of course. And it goes downhill from there. Oh dear! The longer I'm friends with you, John, the more my childhood is destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Should have spent it watching por- um, not porn. Porn movies. <laughs> <laughs> Should have spent it watching horror movies. Yeah. You don't want to know what the snozzleberry tastes like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What about the chocolate river? (laughs) What about the everlasting gobstopper? (laughs) (laughs) That's all for today's episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, you can keep up to date with us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK across Twitter and Facebook. And if you like the episode, please give us a subscribe, a little share if you can. And if you're feeling ultra generous, a five star review. And as always, John has a reward for all those who leave us a positive review. What is it today, John? Well, it's a special double two for one reward. You will get two of us. So if you can leave us a five star review, me and Andy will come round to your house, sit you on the sofa between us and argue loudly over Jupiter's legacy whilst you try and watch it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who hopes people still take him seriously despite his unrealistic hair and stick-on beard. (laughs) A woman with an imaginary demonic dog. A man who hopes not to be touched by Joss Whedon. Oh. (laughs) And a man who will be leaving the house after putting his back out trying to lock himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And I'm Hazel, the mayor of Nerdtown. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, I'm going to watch Superstore. (laughs) (laughs) And? Well, you know what I like about that is that it did not prompt um, a horrifying destruction of childhood nostalgia from John. Mm. So that's nice. I'm still wondering whether Mr. Pickles is a real thing or whether Chris just took some acid and watched Superstar. <laughs> I should do that later. <laughs> <laughs> you just described the perfect Sunday night for me, John. <laughs> uh, John, as Nerdfest's resident lawyer, can you confirm or deny whether we should be encouraging people to take drugs? I would say that if you do do drugs, do them carefully. <laughs> So are there any you'd like to recommend, John? <laughs> a friend of ours had a, you know, you have your bucket list. Uh-huh. And she had on her bucket list, I would like to try soft drugs in a safe environment. Even the bucket list was sensible. <laughs> As opposed to the fuck it list, which is where you just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Better go out and find some acid. Acid.